This is Trifecta Now podcast, Living A Course in Miracles, episode 20, chapter 20, The Vision of Holiness. Welcome back. My email is trifectanow3 at gmail.com. This chapter focuses on Holy Week. It suggests you might have started the book at the beginning of a new year. Holy Week begins with palms and ends with lilies. My favorite flower are white lilies. I wasn't sure what the draw to them was until I read this book for the first time. Our lives are a journey of purpose and acceptance. We have countless distractions and numerous misinterpretations of who and what we are. This book is trying to help us clear up some of them, help us refocus and set us up on our journey with clarity. Holy Week is on page 425. Put no emphasis or focus on the crucifixion, but release your understanding and guilt around persecuting the Son of God. He was never going to die. He returned to his father as planned. The resurrection of his hope and love lay in our acceptance of his life, not his death. Holy Week should be a celebration of his eternal life and nothing else. Paragraph one says, this is Palm Sunday, the celebration of victory and the acceptance of the truth. Let us not spend this Holy Week brooding on the crucifixion of God's son, but happily in the celebration of his release. For Easter is a sign of peace, not pain. A slain Christ has no meaning, but a risen Christ becomes a symbol of the Son of God's forgiveness on himself, the sign he looks upon himself as healed and whole. Paragraph 2 says, This week begins with palms and ends with lilies. The white and holy sign, the Son of God, is innocent. Let no dark sign of crucifixion intervene between the journey and its purpose, between the acceptance of the truth and its expression. This week we celebrate life, not death. Paragraph 3 says, A week is short, and yet this holy week is a symbol of the whole journey of the Son of God has undertaken. He started with the sign of victory, the promise of the resurrection, already given him. Let him not wander into the temptation of crucifixion and delay him there. Help him to go in peace beyond it, with the light of his own innocence lighting his way to his redemption and release. Paragraph four at the bottom says, Easter is not the celebration of the cost of sin, but of its end. If you are, if you see glimpses of the face of Christ behind the veil, looking between the snow white petals of the lilies, you have received and given as your gift. You will behold your brother's face and next page on 220, uh, sorry, on 426, recognize it. And sentence six says, at the bottom of that chap, uh, paragraph says, The time of Easter is a time of joy and not of mourning. Look on your risen friend and celebrate his holiness along with me, for Easter is the time of your salvation along with mine. The next part on page 426 is called the gift of lilies. White lilies are the symbol of peace. The crown of thorns only emphasizes, emphasizes the pain and suffering we have created in this world. God nor Christ wants us to be how we remember the Son of God. It is a burden chosen by the ego to condemn us and make the sinners repent. This is not real. This was created in this world. Think of lilies and let lilies replace the crucifixion as your sign of your own resurrection to peace and love. Paragraph 1 says, Look upon all the trinkets made to hang upon the body or to cover it for its use. See all the uses, useless things made for its eyes to see. Think on the many offerings made for its pleasure, and remember all these were made 
to make seem lovely what you hate. Paragraph 2 says gifts are not made through bodies if they be truly given and received, for bodies can neither offer nor accept, hold out nor take. Only the mind can value, and only mind decides on what it would receive and give, and every gift it offers depends on what it wants. It will adorn its chosen home most carefully, making it ready to receive the gifts it wants by offering them to those who come onto its chosen home, or those it would attract to it. And there they will exchange their gifts, offering and receiving what their minds judge to be worthy of them. Paragraph 3 says, Each gift is an evaluation of the receiver and the giver. Paragraph 4 at the bottom says, I have great need for lilies, for the Son of God has not forgiven me. This is on page top of page 427 that says, And sentence 2 says, And can I offer him forgiveness when he offers thorns to me? For he who offers thorns to anyone is against me still, and who is whole without him. Be you his friend for me, that I may be forgiven, and you may look upon the Son of God as whole. Paragraph 5 says, You look still with the body's eyes, and they can see but thorns. Yet you have asked for and received another sight. Those accept the Holy Spirit's purpose as their own share also as their own share also his vision. And what enables him to see his purpose shines forth from every altar now is yours as well as his. He sees no strangers, only dearly loved and loving friends. He sees no thorns, but only lilies, gleaming in the gentle glow of peace that shines on everything he looks upon and loves. Paragraph 6, sentence 5 says, The Holy Spirit's vision is no idle gift, no plaything to be tossed about a while and laid aside. Listen and hear this carefully, nor think it but a dream. A careless thought to play with, or a toy you would pick up from time to time, then put then put it by. For if you do, so will it be to you. Paragraph 7 says, You have the vision now to look past all illusions. It has been given you to see no thorns, no strangers, and no obstacles to peace. On the next page, page 428, at the top, paragraph 10 says, The song of Easter is the glad refrain that the Son of God was never crucified. Let us lift up our eyes together, not in fear, but faith. Paragraph 9, sentence 3 says, Let him be to you the Savior from illusions, and look on him with the new vision that looks upon the lilies and brings you joy. We go beyond the veil of fear, lighting each other's way. The holiness that leads us is within us, as is our home. So will we find what we are meant to find by him who leads us. On page 429, sin as an adjustment. Adjustments of any kind are of the ego. Knowledge and truth need no adjustment. They are fixed because they are real and true. We don't need to adjust the truth. Sins have degrees and levels. Truth is of its own. If we are constantly adjusting our perceptions to understand our sins, then it only stands to reason that they must not be true. No? Paragraph one, the belief in sin is an adjustment. An adjustment is a change, a shift in perception, or a belief that what was so before has been made different. Every adjustment is therefore a distortion and calls upon defenses to uphold it against reality. Paragraph two says adjustments of any kind are of the ego. Sentence four in that same paragraph says the ego is the self-appointed mediator of all relationships. 
making whatever adjustment it deems necessary and interposing them between those who would meet to keep them separate and prevent their union. It is this studied interference that makes it difficult for you to recognize your holy relationship for what it is. Paragraph 3 says, The holy do not interfere with truth. Paragraph 4 says, A simple question yet remains and needs an answer. Do you like what you have made? A world of murder and attack through which you thread your timid way through distant through constant dangers, alone and frightened, hoping at most that death will wait a little longer before it overtakes you and you disappear. You made this up. It is a picture of what you think you are and how you see yourself. A murderer is frightened and those who kill fear death. All these are but the fearful thoughts of those who would adjust themselves to a world made fearful by their adjustments, and they look out in sorrow from what is sad within and see the sadness there. The next page, 430, paragraph 5 says, Have you not wondered what the world is really like? How it would look through happy eyes? The world you see is but a judgment on yourself. It is not there at all. Yet judgment lays in a sentence on it, lays a sentence on it, justifies it and makes it real. Such is the world you see, a judgment on yourself and made by you. Paragraph 6 says, who is who in a holy relationship can long remain unholy? The world the holy see is one with them, just as the world the ego looks upon is like itself. The world the holy see is beautiful because they see their innocence in it. Paragraph 8 at the bottom of that page <coughs> says, Does one ask judgment of what is totally bereft of judgment? And if you have, would you believe the answer and adjust to it as if it were the truth? The world you look on is the answer that it gave you, and you have given it power to adjust the world to make its answer true. On the next page, which is page 431, sentence five at the top says, how happy did you, did it make you? Did you meet your brother with joy to bless the son of God and give him thanks for all the happiness that he held out to you? Did you recognize your brother as the eternal gift of God to you? Did you see the holiness that shone in both you? and your brother to bless the other. This is the purpose of your holy relationship. Paragraph 9 says, Prisoners bound with heavy chains for years, starved and emancipated, weak and exhausted, and with eyes so long cast down in the darkness, they remember not the light. Do not leap up in joy the instant they do not leap up in joy the instant they are made free. It takes a while for them to understand what freedom is. Paragraph 10, sentence 2 says, Here there is only holiness and joining without limit. And what is heaven but union, direct and perfect, and without the veil of fear upon it? Here are we one, looking with perfect gentleness upon each other and on ourselves. Here all thoughts of any separation between us become impossible. You who are prisoner in separation are now made free in paradise. And here would I unite with you, my friend, my brother, and myself. On the next page, which is page 432, it's called Entering the Ark. We give power to things that have no power. Our desire to control and understand the world we currently live in is our biggest downfall. We mistakenly believe we give power to things, yet, is, yet it is not our ability. We assign sin and judgment like they mean something. 
They mean nothing in heaven. Paragraph one, sentence one says, nothing can hurt you unless you give it the power to do so. Yet you give power as the laws of this world interpret giving. As you give, you lose. It is not up to you to give power at all. Power is of God and given by him and reawakened by the Holy Spirit, who knows that as you give, you gain. Paragraph two says, sin has no place in heaven where its results are alien and can no more enter than can their source. And therein lies your need to see your brother sinless. In him is heaven. See sin in him instead, and heaven is lost to you. Paragraph 3 says, Your insane laws were made to guarantee that you would make mistakes and give them power over you by accepting the results as your just due. Paragraph 4 says, Those who choose freedom will experience only its results. Their power is of God, and they will give it only to what God has given, to share with them. Nothing but this can touch them, for they see only this, sharing their power according to the will of God. The next page, page 433, a sentence seven at the top says, Ask not the sparrow how the eagle soars, for those with little wings have not accepted for themselves the power to share with you. Paragraph five, sentence three says, To each who walks this earth in seeming solitude is a savior given, whose special function here is to release him and so to free himself. In the world of separation, each is appointed separately, though they are all the same. Yet those who know that they are all the same need not salvation, and each one finds a Savior when he is ready to look upon the face of Christ and see himself sinless. Near the bottom on that same page, paragraph 7 says, This is the purpose given you. Think not that your forgiveness of your brother serves but you two alone. For the whole new world rests in the hands of every two who enter here to rest. And as they rest, the face of Christ, the face of Christ shines on them, and they remember the laws of God, forgetting all the rest and yearning only to have his laws perfectly fulfilled in them and all their brothers. Paragraph 8 says, You may wonder how you can be at peace when, while you are in time, there is no such, no, there is so much that must be done before the way to peace is open. Perhaps this seems impossible to you, but ask yourself if it is possible that God would have a plan for your salvation that does not work. Once you accept his plan as the next page, 434, one function that you would fulfill, there will be nothing else the Holy Spirit will not arrange for you without your effort. Uh, the next part is called Heralds of Unity. Sorry, of Eternity. <laughs> I'm making up my own words now. As soon as we are certain of our connection and divinity, that is when we will understand and accept eternity. Fear, sin, judgment, none of these things are found in eternity, only in time. Paragraph one, sentence four says, only in time can anything be lost and never lost forever. So do the parts of God's son gradually join so do the parts of God's Son gradually join in time, and with each joining is the end of time brought nearer. Each miracle of the joining is a mighty herald of eternity. No one who has a single purpose, unified and sure, can be afraid. No one who shares his purpose with him cannot be one with him. Paragraph 2, Sentence 3 says, Two voices raised together call to the hearts of everyone <clears throat> to let them beat as one. 
And in that single heartbeat is a unity of love proclaimed and given welcome. Peace to your holy relationship, which has the power to hold the unity of the Son of God together. You give to your brother for everyone, and in your gift is everyone made glad. Forget not who has given you the gifts you give, and through your not forgetting this, will you remember who gave the gifts to him to give to you. On the next page, which is page 435, paragraph 4, the last sentence in it is, sentence 7 says, Vision or judgment is your choice, but never both of these. Paragraph 5 says, Your brother's body is as little use to you as it is to him. When it is used only as the Holy Spirit teaches, it has no function. For minds need not the body to communicate. The sight that sees the body has no use which serves the purpose of a holy relationship. And while you look upon your brother thus, the means in the end have not been brought in line. Why should it take so many holy instants to let this be accomplished when one would do? There is but one. The little breath of eternity that runs through time like golden lights is all the same. Nothing before it, nothing afterwards. Paragraph 6 says, You look upon the holy instant as a different point in time. It never changes. All that it ever held or will ever hold is here right now. The past takes nothing from it and the future will add no more. Here, then, is everything. Here is the loveliness of your relationship with means and end in perfect harmony already. Here is the perfect faith that you will one day offer to your brother already offered you. And here the limitless forgiveness you will give him already given. The face of Christ you yet will look upon already seen. Paragraph 7. Can you evaluate the giver of a gift like this? Would you exchange this gift for another? Sentence 5 in paragraph 7 says, This is no gift your brother's body offers. The veil that hides the gift hides him as well. He is the gift, and yet he knows it not. No more do you. The next page, which is page 436, at the top of it, paragraph 8, sentence 1 says, Be comforted and feel the Holy Spirit watching over you in love and perfect confidence in what he sees. The next part is called the Temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in us. We only ask her help and her guidance, and it is instantly given. We enter our first holy relationship when we give over all our thoughts and doubts to the Holy Spirit. In that instant, we will feel the peace and joy we seek. Paragraph 1, sentence 1 says, The meaning of the Son of God lies solely in his relationship with his Creator. If it were elsewhere, it would rest on contingency, but there is nothing else. And this is wholly loving and forever. Paragraph 2 says, Nothing can show the contrast better than the experience of both a holy and an unholy relationship. The first is based on love and rests on its serene and, un its serene and undisturbed. The body does not intrude upon it. Any relationship in which the body enters is based not on love, but on idolatry. Love wishes to be known, completely understood, and shared. It has no secrets, nothing that it would keep apart and hide. It walks in sunlight, open-eyed and calm, in smiling welcome and in sincerity, so simple and so obvious, it cannot be, be misunderstood. At the bottom of that page, paragraph 4 says, Love has no darkened temples where mysteries are kept. Next page, which is 437 at the top. Obscure and hidden from the sun. 
It does not seek for power, but for relationships. The body is the ego's chosen weapon for seeking power through relationships, and its relationships must be unholy for what they are it does not even see. Paragraph 5 says the Holy Spirit's temple is not a body, but a relationship. Sentence 6 in that same paragraph says the Holy Spirit does not build his temples where love can never be. Would he who sees the face of Christ choose as his home the only place in all the universe where it cannot be seen? Paragraph 6 says, you cannot make the body the Holy Spirit's temple, and it will never be the seat of love. <coughs> Excuse me. Paragraph 7 says, idolaters will always be afraid of love, for nothing so severely threatens them as love's approach. Let love draw near them and overlook the body, as it will surely do, and they retreat in fear, feeling the seeming firm foundation of their temple being shaken and loosened. Sentence 8 in that same paragraph says, The Holy Spirit's purpose lies safe in your relationship and not your body. You have escaped the body. Where you are, the body cannot enter, for the Holy Spirit has set his temple there. Paragraph 8 at the very bottom says, There is no order in relationships. They either are or not. On the next page, which is 438, it starts... A an unholy relationship is no relationship. It is a state of isolation, which seems to be what it is not. No more than that. The instant that the mad idea of making your relationship with God unholy seemed to be possible, all your relationships were made meaningless. On that same page at the bottom, paragraph 11 says, The body is the ego's idol. The belief in sin made flesh and then projected outwards. Uh, sentence four in that same paragraph at the bottom says, here does the son of God stop briefly by to offer his devotion to death's idols and then pass on. And here he is not dead, then living. Yet it is also here he makes his choice again between idolatry and love. That's the next page, 439. Here it is given him to choose to spend this instant paying tribute to the body or let him be given himself from it, given freedom from it. Uh, here he can accept the holy instant offered him to replace the unholy one he chose before. And here he can learn relationships are his salvation and not his doom. Paragraph 12 says, you who are learning this may still be a fearful, but you are not immobilized. The holy instant is of greater value now to you than an unholy seeming counterpart. And you have learned you really want but one. This is no time for sadness, perhaps confusion, but hardly discouragement. The bottom, near the middle to the bottom of the page of 439, is the consistency of means and end. <clears throat> Once you release your guilt, hatred, and judgment to the universe, it is then only and only then that means and end are recognized for what they truly are. The body is only a means to get where you're supposed to be. It is an aid, nothing more. Paragraph 1 says, we have said much about discrepancies of means and end and how these must be brought in line before your holy relationship can bring you only joy. But we have also said that means to meet the Holy Spirit's goal will come from the same source as does his purpose. Sentence forces, the seeming inconsistency or parts you find more difficult than others are merely indications of areas where means and end are still discrepant. And this produces great discomfort. This need not be. This course requires almost nothing of you. It is impossible to imagine one that asks so little or could offer more. 
paragraph two, sentence three at the bottom says, you recognize you want the goal. You Are you not also willing to accept the means? If you are not, let us admit that you are inconsistent. A purpose is attained by means. And if you want a purpose, you must be willing to, page 440, want the means as well. How can one be sincere and say, I want this above all else, and I do not want to learn the means to get it? Paragraph 3 says, to obtain the goal, the Holy Spirit indeed asks little. Sentence 6 in that same paragraph says, yet how can they be difficult if they are merely given you? They guarantee the goal and they are perfectly in line with it. Before you look at them a little closer, remember that if you think they are impossible, your wanting the purpose has been shaken. Your wanting of the purpose has been shaken. For if a goal is possible to reach, the means to do so must be possible as well. Paragraph 5 says, The body is the means by which the ego tries to make the unholy relationship seem real. The unholy instant is the time of bodies. But the purpose here is sin. It cannot be attained but an illusion. And so the illusion of a brother as a body is quite in keeping with the purpose of unholiness. Because of this consistency, the means always, sorry, the means remains unquestionable, the end is cherished. Seeing adapts to wish, for sight is always secondary to desire. And if you see the body, you have chosen judgment and not the vision. For vision, like relationship, has no order. You either see or not. On the next page, page 441, paragraph 7 says, There is indeed a difference between this vain imagining and vision. The differences lie not in them, but in their purpose. Both are but means, each one appropriate to the end for which it is, is employed. Neither can serve the purpose of the other, for each one is a choice of purpose employed on its behalf. Sentence 6 says, The means seem real because the goal is valued, and judgment has no value unless the goal is sin. Paragraph 8 says, The body cannot be looked upon except through judgment. To see the body is the sign that you lack vision and have denied the means the Holy Spirit offers you to serve his purpose. How can a holy relationship achieve its purpose through the means of sin? Judgment, you taught yourself. Vision is learned from him who would undo your teaching. Paragraph 9, your question should not be, how can I see my brother without the body? Ask only, do I really wish to see him sinless? And as you ask, forget not that his sinlessness is your escape from fear. The next part is called the vision of sinlessness on 441 at the bottom. When you release all your thoughts and feelings about the past and future, it is then that you will have the vision of sinlessness. It is then that you will finally be free. Paragraph one at the bottom says vision will come to you at first in glimpses but they will be enough to show you what is given you who see your brother sinless. Truth is restored to you through your desire as it was lost to you through your desire for something else. On the next page, 442, paragraph 2. Do you not want to know your own identity? Would you not happily exchange your doubts for certainty? Would you not willingly be free of misery and learn again of joy? Your holy relationship offers all of this to you. As it was given you, so will it, so will be its effects. And as its holy purpose was not made by you, the means by which its happy end is yours, happy end is yours is also not of you. Rejoice in what is yours 
but for the asking, and think not that you need make either means or end. All this is given you who would but see your brother sinless. All this is given waiting on your desire but to receive it. Vision is freely given to those who ask to see. Paragraph 4 says the Holy Spirit guarantees that what God willed and gave you shall be yours. This is your purpose now, and the vision that makes it yours is already is ready to be given. You have the vision that enables you to see the body not, and you look upon your brother, and as you look upon your brother, you will see an altar to your father, holy as heaven. Paragraph five, the body is the sign of weakness, vulnerability, and the loss of power. Can such a savior help you? In the next page, 443, paragraph six says, everything looked upon with vision falls gently into place according to the laws brought to it by his calm and certain sight. Paragraph 7 says, Judgment is but a toy, a whim, the senseless means to play the idle game of death in your imagination. But vision sets all things right, bringing them gently within the kindly sway of heaven's laws. Paragraph 9 says, Only two purposes are possible, and one is sin and the other holiness. Nothing is in between and which you choose determines what you see <coughs> next page four forty four paragraph ten what has no meaning what has no meaning cannot be perceived and meaning always looks within to find itself and then looks out all meaning that you give the world outside must thus to reflect the sight you saw within or better, if you saw at all or merely judged against. Vision is the means by which the Holy Spirit translates your nightmares into happy dreams. Your wild hallucinations that show you all the fearful outcomes of imagined sin into the calm and reassuring sights with which he would replace them. Paragraph 11, sentence 2, at the bottom there, says, And after vision, who is there who could refuse what must come after? Think but an instant just on this. You can behold the holiness God gave his son, and never need you think that there isn't something else for you to see. This is the end of chapter 20 of A Course in Miracles. This chapter is moving towards acceptance. If you have followed along and accepted the truths put forward, then you already experienced the vision of holiness. You have found the holy instant and are moving towards releasing all your thoughts of the past and of what the future might hold. It's in the present that we are truly at peace and finally happy. This is our journey. Keep finding your way. Have a week of holy instants. And until next week, always love, Denise.